welcome to the next episode of the Nickel City Soundtrack Podcast. Today, we're here with Nick Barron of Third Party Records. Uh, we talked to Nick about Third Party Records, also about some of uh, his own projects, including Half Mast and No Time Left. And we also talked to him a little bit about things he's doing currently and how Third Party kind of feeds into that and the nuances of Third Party. Well, sit down, have a listen, and enjoy. Thanks. I am Nick Barron, uh, originally from Buffalo, New York, and I do third-party records. So, uh, Nick, where are you living these days? Uh, I currently live in Milwaukee. I jumped jumped around a lot. After, I, I spent the first 30 years of my life in Buffalo um, and then uh, jumped to Baltimore, to back to Buffalo, to D.C., to Chicago, to here. Um, but I've been here in Milwaukee for six years. Were those Buffalo years all at 21 Nancy Lane? <laughs> no. Um, but it, so it's a, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I was just listening to the, the incarnation episode, uh, Daryl had commented on how, when, um, when uh, Tim Redmond first met uh, Tony victory, that he uh, um, Tony victory recited Tim Redmond's address back to him or his parents' address back to him. And when uh, Tony Erba first met uh, Eric El, or not first met Eric Elman, but said Eric Elman was in a band with, with me, um, Tony Erba immediately said 21 Nancy Lane. Um, so that was how Tony Erba, er, Tony Erba referenced me in, in the early days of No Time Left was 21 Nancy Lane. It may be the single easiest address to remember. Seriously. <laughs> and now everyone like, has, so has, has I'm, I'm guessing that's like your parents' house. Has there ever been a discord moment where some Euro shows up at your, at your parents' house looking for you? No one ever, no one ever did that. But the, um, the one time somebody kept calling the house and was like, hi, I, I'm looking for Nick. I'm in New York and my parents are like, uh, uh, Nick's on tour. And so then they would hang up and then the person called back again. I need Nick's help. I'm in New York. And uh, it ended up being this guy, Dennis, um, who had flown to New York city from Germany on a whim and thought Buffalo and New York city were close to each other. Buffalo is the sixth borough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But luckily, uh, luckily, we were on tour at the time, and my mom had a postcard that I had made that listed all of the tour dates. And she told uh, the guy when we were going to be in Long Island, and he showed up at the show and ended up going on tour with us. That's nice. amazing, Dennis from Germany. I remember that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I may have oh, met him once or twice. I might have a picture of him. I'm going to try to find it while you guys are talking here. So. So, um, when did you start third party records? So I started, I started third party, um, not as a record label, but as a tape uh, releasing demo tapes in 1992. Um, and I'd started releasing demo tapes and doing the third party newsletter at the same time. Um, essentially the, the name third party was, 
this idea of I wanted to, um, it seems so pretentious now, but uh, rebuild Buffalo hardcore. And so that's where the shovel man logo came from. And I stole, stole that from a thing that I had gotten at the DMV that said uh, rebuilding New York's highways and uh, um, took the, took the shovel man logo. Cause I love stick figures for some reason. I'm obsessed with them. Um, took the shovel man logo and put it on a flyer. And the, the first thing that said third party on it uh, was a thing advertising the third party uh, living newsletter. That uh, was a combined thing that Joe Luca and I did. Um, and it said rebuilding Buffalo hardcore third party and living newsletter. How much shit did you catch from people for that whole uh, rebuilding Buffalo hardcore thing? Because I remember when I saw it, I was kind of like, like, who the fuck are you? Um, nobody said anything to me about it. Um, but, I mean, who the fuck am I? I, I, I ask my, myself that question every single day. Um, but I still say outrageous shit and get myself into trouble. So, <laughs> Fair enough. I, I wouldn't know anything about that. you know alex you're surprisingly even keeled on like you don't really say any wild shit on the podcast and i don't either but i purposely do that i know when i'm on the record (laughs) and that's exactly what it is yeah i mean our side conversations uh we can express some opinions but you know yeah maybe we'll have that episode like when we have our Patreon, so, we'll talk shit on Patreon. Yeah, on the Patreon. Yeah, you want to hear us talk shit? Give to our Patreon. Um, <laughs> but so, what I, was the first? What's that? I, I was I was gonna I was gonna piggyback on that and just say where it, where it actually sort of came from was uh, me and Tim Turcott were really close at the time, and we would go to uh, um, Santora's Pizza and hang out with Joe Luca while he was working. And Joe was constantly complaining, like, you know, he was doing shows and doing the live, uh, living fanzine and um, complaining about how there was no organization to anything. And, uh, you know, things just weren't. And my idea was being a third party between the bands and the fans and um, promoters and trying to get people to work together. And I mean, I had absolutely no expertise in that field. In fact, I probably push people further apart more often than I bring them together. But um, that was the intent at the time. Uh, I always took it really differently. I, I always just assumed that it was like getting, you know, just getting a different voice out there rather than, you know, two sides at opposite ends screaming at each other and trying to like bring people together as opposed to being an intermediary. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that was, that, that was, that was the thought pattern at the time. So what was the uh, what was the first third party release? What was that first tape that you put out? That was the uh, support demo. And and was you are you responsible for the stick figures in that? Since you no. mentioned your stick figure <laughs> obsession, or is that why you put it out? No, uh, n- none of the above. Um, support was at the time my favorite local band, um, and they had broken up, and they had these two songs that they were still sitting on, um, and. I, I thought, yep, there it is. Um, so I had just in my, in high school, I had started a band called Suburban Livestock that changed its name to Clockwork. 
And then I was like, I don't want to play this kind of music anymore. I want to be in a hardcore band. But in that kind of like weird transitional space, um, I was just, I just wanted to be involved in the Buffalo hardcore scene. I wanted to be involved in stuff. And so, uh, you know, I found out um, one, how to release my own demo tape because Clockwork recorded a two song demo, um, which is terrible, but it was, it was a starting point. And then I, having learned, borrowed a hundred dollars from my, uh, from my parents in order to buy a hundred tapes from ESP um, and record these, these demos. And then I borrowed another hundred dollars from my brother. I think it was in order to re, um, record the, uh, the support demos. And uh, yeah, I'd learned the, the process with my own band and then was like, okay, now I'm going to start a thing and uh, approached support and they were like, yeah, let's do it. And how much, like how much uh, control did they have over how you put it together versus what you just did on your own? Like, did you come up with the cover, like the, the weird tribal thing, the stick figures (laughs) that all of that was them. They did all of the layout and everything all on their own. Um, They handed me, I, I will always be blamed for the fact that it airplanes on uh, a lot of copies, but the, the copy of the demo that they gave or of the recording that they gave me was not in a case. Um, it was like <laughs> the label was all like rubbed off and, I know that right. there, there will, there will be disagreements on this, but it, <laughs> I, I was not given a pristine copy and, you know, I ended up running, you know, like 300 copies off of that, off of that copy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they did everything except for, you know, I bought the tapes and I uh, ran all of the uh, copies off on my, uh, on my home stereo system. So you had that, when did the newsletter start? Uh, same time. Same time. What was the, what was, what was the first thing you talked about in the third party newsletter? Uh, just about, um, it was like a scene report. Um, yeah, I remember. I have yeah. a couple of them sitting somewhere, but so yeah. like what, like what was a major, like in your first issue, what was a major issue that you were kind of trying to. Well, the, the, the first one, um, it literally was just like a play by play. This band is working on this. This band is working on this. This is what's going on. I think it ended with a, with a recipe, um, if I recall correctly, the recipe was these uh, these um, buckwheat pancakes that I had gotten from uh, from a guy who was in the Syracuse hardline band Uprise, and they were terrible. Like I, I made them once, and they were like god awful. Um, but I, I the I'm band pretty... probably was too, to be fair. Yes, yes. Um, but. Uh, um, I, I still remember like, like hanging out with that guy at, at lost horizon shows. And like one time him, like, like come sitting down at, at, at my booth and he like pulls out his, his, uh, his, his backpack and he like opens up the packet, the, 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 uh, the backpack and opens up the pocket and there's like a giant monkey wrench in there. And he just like gives me, gives me the nod. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> So was the shitty recipe an intentional prank or just? 
<laughs> um, it was as much a prank on myself as anybody else. Um, I, I, as I said, I ended up making the recipe. I ate the recipe. It was an awful recipe. I never made it again. It was I mean, vegan, of course, that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what was that, Mark? It was vegan, of course, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah when and, you're and that I, hardline, you find no joy in anything, not even food. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was, I, that was right around when I first went vegan. Um, I had just, uh, um, just started being exposed to like, so senior year of high school, this is, this is an important story for me. Senior year of high school, I was making fun of everybody that was vegan and vegetarian. Actually, I didn't know any vegans then, but anybody that was vegetarian in my circles, I was like, you guys, you know, all the usual, like top of the food chain, all the stupid things that people say. Um, and um, making fun of all my friends relentlessly. And then I got start today and I'm listening to Gorilla Biscuits start today. And I'm, you know, doing the thing that I, I still wish I had as much time to do, which is to lay in bed or on the couch and read the lyric sheet and just absorb the record. Um, and so I was absorbing uh, start today and I got to cats and dogs and all of a sudden it just fucking clicked. And so, so I ended up literally, cause you know, I'm a teenager. I ran into the living room with this record and I was like, mom, you need to read these lyrics. And my mom read the lyrics and she's like, I guess they're vegetarians. And I'm like, yeah, I guess they are. And uh, a month later I was vegetarian and a year and a half later I was vegan. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, hardcore had everything to do with that. Um, and all the people that I made fun of like three months later, they were all like over it. I was going to say, like, of of the vegans outside of Syracuse that I knew back in, like, 93, I think you're one of the only ones who still is. Unless you're not, and then I'm going to sound like an ass. Oh, no. I I, I am holding it down into the grave. Yeah, like, Um, I think think that you're, like, outside of Syracuse, like, the last one. He was just talking shit on cheese right before we started recording, so. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So, actually, hold on one second. Um, I want to share something here. Hold on. Is that Dennis? Yes. Okay. I do believe so. Awesome. Is that other guy really in the Bloods? Uh, No, that's the singer from Torn Apart. Remember that band? Yeah. Torn Apart, yeah, that's the singer from that band. I know you were just joking. Yo, that, that Dennis guy looks really familiar. Was Did he, like, play in a band or something later on? No. Maybe just all those like Germans look alike. <laughs> yeah, I think he went on tour with New Day Rising and Hourglass or something. That's what that's why. Yeah, he, that he, he came back to visit the next year and hung out um yeah. with uh I believe Gerald. So, Have you talked to Dennis at all? Yeah, he reached out um probably in the last five years. Yeah. Just being like, hey. It's Dennis from Germany, you know, Um, I I, I get, I get those, those kinds of uh, messages all the time. And I'm, I'm going to say that, you know, like I'm deeply honored that I got to experience these things and connect with these people. Even if I haven't maintained relationships with most of them, um, just the fact that, that, you know, punk, Punk gave me an opportunity to to have all these experiences. Definitely. 
Yeah, like I, I always thought that like the only reason I have a voice in the world is because of hardcore. Like I feel I have a voice, I guess, you know, because yeah. I mean, who, who am I? I'm just some dude who, you know, has a podcast and all that crap. But it's definitely I feel like a lot of people don't have or don't have a voice because of you know whatever reason they, they think they do. But hardcore's always been that for me, I guess. So Yeah. You yeah, probably I mean, should like, not sell you. yourself, Mark, because we'd be missing about 20 years worth of photographic evidence of anything yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That stuff is Something to do, you know. But whatever. Let's get back to the let's get back to the to, to Nick Barron here. So uh what were we gonna talk about? We made we made notes and now we're not following it. So where were we? <laughs> I I, so was, I will also this? invariably fuck everything up because I love to tell stories and I'm just gonna end up going on tangents. I apologize. I mean, what stories cool, are man? what it's all about. That's what people want to hear. But what was the next release? Um, and we're not gonna go through every release because yeah. I was shocked at the number of of things you put out when I was doing my research. Like shocked. I was like, yeah. holy shit! Like nine nine demos and forty. 40 records yeah jesus yeah. i didn't realize it was that many yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so um the the next thing i believe was the half mast under uh yeah one nation under god um demo tape and did a guy from baphomet play on that um no not on that um so so that was um, that recording was, if I recall correctly, I don't have it in front of me, but it was um, me and Bill Page and Turtle um, mm-hmm. and uh, um, one or both of the guitar players from Final Notice. Because um, uh-huh. originally, so this is a good story. Um, I'm going to go on, on another quick tangent. So I was in clockwork suburban livestock became clockwork and then clockwork. I, I quit and they got a new guy and they changed the name to unfortunately Zyklon B. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I don't want any part of this. Um, and, uh, but at their very first show, they asked um, me if I wanted to sing one of the clockwork songs, cause they were going to play one of the clockwork songs. And I was like, yes. And so I got up on stage and I, and I sang this song. And at the end of the song, and this was at the scrapyard, um, at the end of the song, I said, hey, you know, I'm looking to start a hardcore band. If you're interest, interested, you know, reach out. A few days later, I get a joint phone call from Bill Page and Turtle. Um, and they pitched me the idea of me playing guitar um, for a... Uh, for a band called edge of honor. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was like, I don't know about that name, but you know, we'll, you know, we can get together and, and, and play. And I am not a good guitar player. Um, I still play guitar to this day. My guitar is sitting right next to me, um, but I'm not a good guitar player. And immediately after them hear, hearing me try out to play guitar, they were like, you can sing. <laughs> um and uh that that became half mast it's about as hardcore as it gets yeah edge but, of honor i like it but yeah so th- <laughs> our very first guitar player was um i think his name was chris from baphomet he's a short short-haired guy in a metal band 
Um, and he, uh, he, we were going to be playing our very first show. We were playing with Worlds Collide and I think Grade and some other bands. Worlds Collide didn't end up playing. Um, they ended up canceling. Um, actually, wait, was hey. no, I was, I would think it would have been Incision. Yeah, Incision. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah Incision. Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're about to, to play our first show. And this is another tangent, but it's a good story. Um, and this, this shows what kind of person I was at that time. Um, so we are driving to the show and I am like giving this guitar player shit the whole time. And there is a point while we're driving on um, Walden Avenue, I think it was, that the guitar player, we're driving to the show and the guitar player like was eating McDonald's in the, in his car. And he threw the bag full of wrappers out of the car window at a light. And I got out of my car and I picked up the, uh, the wrapper, the bag full of wrappers, got into back into my car. And at the next light, I jumped out of my car and I threw it straight into the, into the window of his car um, or his truck. And um, yeah, we, we didn't exchange a word. We played the show and then he was like, I quit. (laughs) (laughs) A little too hard line there, Nick. (laughs) I was, I I, I was more mad about the littering than the, uh, than the uh, the McDonald's eating, but I kind of hate littering myself. Yeah, it's like I just I'm annoyed when I see like masks on the ground and stuff. I'm like, come on. Yep. Like, come yeah. on. But people, you know, they like to do their stuff. So, yeah. whatever. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah. Um. But yeah. Th- so that was that was the the first show, and that um shortly after that we because I, I don't think we had yeah we had not recorded the Nation or God demo yet. Um. After he quit, then we got the um, guys from Final Notice. And they were, they were a trip because they would, they would, they would, um, if we were going to play a show, they would raid Bill Page's uh, t-shirt collection for hardcore shirts <laughs> so that they could blend, <laughs> blend in. Oh, uh, it's good. It's rich. So what was, what was, what do you think, what was your favorite third party release? I was going to say, what are your top five third party? That's good. That's, that's a good. That's a good way to go. Okay, so, yeah. so this is this is an interesting question because third party really splits into two two distinct eras. Um, Buffalo and post Buffalo, I imagine. Um, not exact youth crew, and then my this obsession with the idea of straight edge punk, um, because I really. I got burnt out on youth crew um, and still ended up putting out a couple of of youth crew um, things, but that wasn't where my heart was um, after a certain point. Um, But um, yeah, essentially, essentially uh, out of, out of the third party releases, um, final exit too late for apologies is in the top five. Um, The get it away seven inch, um, the Black SS 7-inch. Um, oh, Positive Reinforcement, uh, one-sided 12-inch. And 
I, I'm, I'm going to have to like think about the fifth. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then honestly, I, I hate to be the guy that, that, you know, I deliberately didn't include any of my bands in any of any of those those top five releases, but like any of the Poison Planet stuff and the No Time Left seven inch, I just I am so proud of those records that they can't help but be like some of the first things that come to mind when I think of my favorite releases. Mm-hmm. It's understandable, yeah. but I appreciate you not saying those. I, I uh, think it's I, I ridiculous. On it's, it's ridiculous to pretend that the No Time Left Seven Inch isn't one of the very best that you've done. That record yeah. fucking smokes. Yeah, I, I I hadn't listened to it in a while, and last year I was like, ah, I, I found one of the one of the CDR or CDRs, one of the CDs laying around, and I was like, I'm going to put this in, and it didn't leave my my uh, my CD player for weeks because there's just. Those guys, it's like, I, I don't take any credit for it. Um, those guys were just phenomenal players. I will never be in a band with people as talented as the people that were in No Time Left. Um, there are things that I liked about being in Poison Planet more because it was more me um, and what I envisioned a band to be. But like No Time Left, those guys were just fucking phenomenal and um you know the fact that the fact that they i don't i don't know if if you ever heard this story um but this is another great story so i had been you know away from the hardcore scene being directly involved in the hardcore scene for like two years and i walked into discovery records and i'd been going into discovery records regularly buying like the like Hey, you know, who's this kid dynamite band? And, Oh, you know, who's speak seven one four and buying, buying stuff like that. And, um, I walked in one day after a couple of near, near misses of, uh, of having not been a, in a band since half mast and, and trying to start a band and nothing really happening. And I did the thing where you hung up a bunch of pull tabs and Eric and, Eric Elman and Blake Elman had a conversation after I left and Eric's like, you know, it's sad that Nick has gotten to the point where he's putting up a sheet with pull tabs and they, I guess, took the sheet down and called me up and said, we're going to start a band. And that's, that's how no, no time left started. It's uh, it was, it was interesting to me the way that band came together. Cause like Adam Maiolo, great dude. I knew him from high school, but he wasn't like, he wasn't really around in terms of, you know, the the type of hardcore that was happening in town at that time. You know, he played in like punk bands and stuff, but he had like really different influences. And it was, uh, you could see that coming through. And that was also maybe the craziest era of Blake's drumming. Yeah. And he's just like, he's one of, watching Blake drum is one of my favorite things ever. And what, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really cool mix of influences. One, one of the, f- I still tell this story all the time to whoever will listen the time that Blake Elman wanted to demonstrate to everyone that he was playing double bass with one foot and he would stick his other foot way out. So people could see that he was only using one foot. His, his showboating is next level. 
It was Definitely. fantastic. <laughs> the best drummer faces you'll ever see, too. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of that, were you was was that we were talking to them about uh about uh tour stories. Were you at the Reno incident where Oh yeah. Oh you were there? Okay. We won't cover that on this uh, since it's on the Bay Live episode, but it was, well, inter- it was an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, that's that that is that is a good one, and um, the the hopefully they covered the moment where everybody was looking around the room trying to figure out what weapon they would grab if this drug dealer showed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, they left that part out. They didn't oh, leave that part that's out. That's one of the best parts. <laughs> No. They, they they wrapped it up with like they just like unconsciously communicated that everybody needs to leave. They left out anything about potential weapons. Yep. Yeah. No. Because we were we were we were standing in the middle of this living room while all of this while we were having the the initial discussion about whether we should stay or we should go. Because there were a couple of people that were like, "No, we should stay." Um. But like everybody was looking around the room and there was like, you know, like a fire fireplace poker and like a sword on the wall, you know, that sort of thing. And people being like, all right, what am I going to grab if something goes down? Awesome. <laughs> so jumping back to early third party stuff. Yep. Maybe your first, what, seven, eight, nine releases were all Buffalo, Buffalo bands with, you know, support and Redline and half mast and played with rage against all hope that 11 song against all hope demo which in my opinion is the best stuff they ever put out yeah for sure but then in what 94 95 you started doing a couple records for for bands from out of town was it a conscious decision to keep it buffalo only in the beginning or was that just opportunity so so with everything that i do i start with if I'm going to fuck this up, I'm going to fuck it up on my, on my own terms with my own shit. Um, so even though, even though the support demo is technically third, uh, third party demo number one, I had learned how to do a demo with the clockwork demo. And so um, with the, all of the uh, demos that I did, yeah, they were all, all local bands. There was a, a point where I was going to do a demo for that, uh, Syracuse hardline band, which I'm glad that never happened. Um, but, uh, um, that did not come, come to fruition. Um, but when I decided that I was ready to put out a vinyl release, it was only logical to do it with half mast because if I fucked it up then, and I, hopefully it's okay to use F bombs. Um, uh, but if I fucked it up, at least it's my band that I'm, you know, messing this up on. So, um, and yeah, like I liked the idea of how like discord, um, you know, focused on local, but I was more in my head, like rev one through 20, like that, you know, I wanted to be like that. Um, and so it was more a matter of, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to do this new thing with my own band. And then I'm going to, you know, then branch out and do other things. So how did you decide that fast break was going to be your no for an answer? Um, so, so I don't even understand that question. <laughs> that was the first rev release that was not from the immediate New York City area. Oh, so I was just okay. playing off because of I remember metaphor. you saying, but I remember you saying before 
when we were talking about the episode doing and the planning of it, you said that Fast Break was the best selling seven inch, and I feel like no for an answer is the worst selling seven inch for Rev. But <laughs> I digress. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. So what happened was is uh um I had become really like constant phone call buddies with Toby Dalesgard from uh from Cornerstone. And uh he was hyping me on. He's like, he's like you know, we've got this like little brother band kind of like, you know, plagued with rages to half mast, um, that, uh, that, uh, is this band fast break. Uh, they've got one member of, of that was like in wide awake at one point. I don't, I didn't know how that worked, but all I, all I knew was that, um, Toby kept hyping me on this band and then he sent me the demo and I loved it. Um, and so, you know, he, uh, he essentially like was originally the go between. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, I started talking to them directly and, uh, it became a thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, that was a, a, a different, different, uh, releases worked different ways. Cause a lot of releases, I coordinated most of what was going on, but with the fast break record, um, they actually had the covers printed um, in Connecticut, if I recall correctly, um, and then, you know, sent them to me. And that's part of the reason why um, eventually there was a, a different cover uh, was because of the fact that I no longer had that um, direct connection with any of them um, and uh, um, didn't have the connection to get more covers. You mean the the third press when it went to the black background? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was because I had lost lost contact with them. Hmm. So was that the best selling third party record? Yeah, there's 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 like five thousand of those in circulation. Oh really? Um, yeah, and there's there's even uh I've been carting around certain boxes um with me for you know twenty years now, and I've I've got um uh some fast break records boxed up over here somewhere. Um, I have like and, 16 of them too, if you need more. So, <laughs> why do you have um, 16 fast break records? Well, that's why it's the best seller. I buy collections <laughs> and I love that record. That's actually, that was, that record's special to me because that was actually the first record that I ever bought with my own money, the first punk record I ever bought with my own money. And I absolutely love it. And I have at least one of every version of it. Yeah. Except for the repress test. I'll, I'll talk to you about that. Off <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I, I love that record and it just has a special place for me. It's just sentimental, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have their other stuff too, but you know, that one really kind of, that's one of the records that really kind of ruined my life. So I, I, I'm glad that I could be a part, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny. My like, mom would like a word with you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It, this is this is one of these funny things because I I go back and forth on this because there's times where I have felt like I have given people terrible advice, but I don't regret the choices that I've made. And the, an example when I was um, when I moved here, I ended up becoming a manager at a uh, cooperative grocery store, kind of like the Lexington Food Co-op in in Buffalo. And I became a, uh, the front end manager and I had a guy that was working for me who 
um, just was in love with the idea of being a hip hop artist and wanted to be involved in hip hop. And we ended up spending way more time talking about how he could, you know, further what he was doing, like studio time and recording and how do you, you know, utilize, you know, Instagram for promotion and all this shit that, that, you know, probably his parents would be like, why is this guy feeding my kid full of these terrible ideas? But I just, there's this, this thing in my brain where I'm like, you know, you don't have to be, you know, this, what is expected of you by society. You can just follow your dreams and just go for it. And yes, it will be the harder path. um, But, you know, you never know where it will take you. So. So, yeah, I've given out a lot of bad advice. <laughs> yeah, but you know, maybe that guy's going to break big. I mean, yeah. bad ideas are almost always more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they give you stories. And then you end up on a podcast talking about it. Yeah. Years later. <laughs> Years later. So, uh, staying on the top five thing, are there five things that you wish you would have put out but didn't? Or even just a couple? Okay, so, so. Um, the, I feel weird telling this story. I I tell it all the time, but telling it on a podcast is weirder. Um, but the one regret, but not really a regret, um, was that, so right around the time that half mass broke up on, on that road trip, um, we played a show in Connecticut and some guy comes up to me and hands me two Bane demos and says, Hey, I want you to check out my band. Um, you know, really like the, the fast break, uh, record and, you know, we'd like to work with you. And I left those demos unlistened to for like two years. And then the Bane seven inch came out and I was, and I ended up buying it. And I was like, wow, this is really fucking good. And then, they ended up, you know, obviously blowing up. And I was like, yeah, I kind of missed the boat on this one by not yeah, listening you, you to fucked these up. <laughs> You fucked up, it's safe to say. Um, but, but at the same time, it's like, um, I regret some of the business decisions that I made. Um, I, I was thinking about this when listening to the Plagued with Rage, uh, the Plagued with Rage uh, um, Nickel City podcast on Nickel City Soundtrack Podcast. Um, I regret some of the business decisions that I made um, and how cavalier I handled certain things. But I, in all honesty, there I don't have a lot of regrets. I, I am just so grateful for everything I got to do. Fair enough. How did it come to pass that you did all the half mass stuff up to Deny Their Vision, but just passed that off to Ambassador? Jeremy. Was it really a pass off or was that <laughs> kind of like a goal? Like, I mean, it wasn't Rev, but it was a Rev imprint. Like that's, that's almost top of the mountain there. Um, oh no, the record came out great. I don't think there's anything to regret there, but I just find yeah. it interesting that the wording, the wording was a little, I, I'm, I'm sure yeah, that's true. That's I'm fair. sure Mark Miller remembers a hundred times, probably Jeremy saying, cause they lived together. I think at the time, yeah. I don't want to be on another fucking photocopy cover. Um, 
Yeah, no, like in all honesty, um, uh, doing that record with Ambassador was not important to me. And I even kind of bucked against it. But Jeremy was just like laser focused on it's going to have the rev star on it. You know, like, 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 remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> okay. It was, it was something that, that uh, was just so incredibly important to him. I, I, I wanted to put it out on third party, but you know, it, I got outvoted in it. We were a collective. So. But how did that come about? Like the, getting that seven inch on ambassador? Um, Jeremy. Okay. Um, Jeremy, um, when the status cassette, um, which he, he released on blood on the floor, um, Jeremy shopped it around. Um, and it was, wasn't something that was like a, a unified front. Um, Jeremy is just like, I want to not be on third party anymore. And he sent it around. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, it, it ended up like, I love that record. It's, it's great. Um, and, uh, I'm glad that it happened. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, had it been on third party, um, I would have been just as happy. Was it a similar thing with having the no time left 10 inch being on six, two, five? No, it was just that, that was something that there were two labels at that time that I was like, okay, if, if the opportunity presents itself, um, six, two, five or havoc, um, and there was even like, like brief chatter. Um, like the guys in vitamin X wanted to do like a, a split seven inch on, on havoc with no time left. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where I had kind of evolved to a different point, especially because once, once, um, no time left Blake broke edge and, um, we had the like discussion is Nick going to quit the band, you know, because like they just assumed that I was not going to be willing to carry on with, with a not straight edge band. And I, I weighed it really heavily, but I was just like, this band is too fucking good. And um, as it's like, well, the trade-off is I can't put out a no time left record again. And so like even the repress of the no time left seven inch that came out on underestimated. Um, because of the fact that uh, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm stepping stepping back from no time left. Um, but yeah, the two the two labels that I was like, like really enamored with at the time um, because of uh, both the bands that were on them and the the work ethic involved in both bands were or in both labels were uh, um, Havoc and Six Two Five. That brings up an interesting point. Would you care to comment on the rumors that uh, you are? Uh, you've you've never been seen in the same place at the same time as Anton underestimated, and you're actually the same person. <laughs> Look, the question is: is um, am I also the same person as Robert Refuse? <laughs> um, because Refuse Records in Poland also has put out multiple of the same bands, um, and uh, we're both uh, balding Polish guys. Um, yeah, I'll. I'll... <laughs> Yeah, reinforce. How is it? How is it today? being three like three different people? How yeah. how do you manage this from Wisconsin? <laughs> well, well, number one, Anton also has multi multiple aliases just in and of himself. Um, but no. uh, 
One of them um, is Nick Barron. Right. <laughs> so yeah, no. is Nick Barron the, the, the root personality or is it Anton or is it this other guy? Which one is it? And any anyone that uh, because of the fact that Anton and I um, lived together in Chicago um, and uh, is was present for the birth <laughs> of, of uh, Poison Planet, um, it is it is fully documented that we are two separate people. <laughs> and it's, uh, and need, it's not a pictures. Tyler Durden situation. The amount of overlap is incredible. I mean, you have reinforced until today, fast break, the exact same no time left record. I might <laughs> be missing stuff. But I, I'm not fucking with Super Sleuth. I'm sorry. I actually kind of like that record. Man. He, he, he threw hundreds of those into a dumpster. It's so Yeah, sad. it's not surprising. But... Uh, why didn't you steal no justice from him? Uh, not a strategy ban. Man. <laughs> yeah. It makes perfect sense to me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, no justice. Also, I'm glad that I am not the same person as Anton because Timmy, no justice once tried to throw Anton out of a moving van. Um, and Oh, yeah, he's not happy about the about the gold vinyl press of that seven inch. <laughs> like, not happy. That was yeah. apparently unauthorized, but you know. Yeah. Why did he so, almost throw him out of a van? What happened? There? I, I don't. I don't. I don't know the story in that particular particular brawl. I just. But know you that. were there. No, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> it was you, Timmy. Timmy's you a good friend of mine. Of Timmy's a good friend of mine, and he has got a short fuse attached to a big fucking bomb. Mm. And he's, he's the sweetest guy in the world if you're on his good side. But if you like, if you fuck with one of his friends, it's game over. Yeah. And he's, he's a wiry little guy, but he, he makes up for it with ferocity. Anton is, is, is similar, you know, like Anton can, there is, there is a, a story when I first moved to, uh, to uh, Chicago about how Anton once was like carrying on a conversation and somebody was trying to fuck with him and they were like shooting him with a, a Roman candle at point blank range straight into his chest. And he did not miss a single beat in the conversation. Like it was not happening. Um, and if you've ever, if you've ever, been on the dance floor while he is moving how somebody so small and so wiry can send you across the fucking floor is unbelievable um i'm glad we never ended up having a physical confrontation interesting (laughs) that was that was we got way off topic on that one sorry it happens the weeds are where the fun happens yeah so every I didn't realize every band on third party was straight edge. I guess I never, never thought about it, but that's that was always a conscious decision. Um, once I put the X behind the shovel man, because basically <laughs> you you will see that um, uh, the the support demo does not have an X behind the shovel man, and I don't think the red line demos do. Um, but once I started to put the X behind the shovel, then it was like this: we're this is a straight edge label. Um, but there, that isn't to say that there weren't missteps because um, fast break, like they had X's on all their stuff, but I don't think they were a straight edge band. 
then I found out that they weren't a straight edge band and I made t-shirts that had the hooded, the hooded basketball guy, but without the X's on his hands, because I'm a dick. Um, and yeah. Um, I mean, that's fair. I would have done the same thing in your position. Yeah. I, um, I, I remember one of the, I was going to do a, a record for this Japanese band, ANMA, anti-negative mental attitude. Um, and <laughs> um, I really liked the band and I, you know, I was super into international hardcore at the time. I was, you know, uh, like it was like six to five is doing like the coolest shit ever. I want to do cool shit too. Um, and um, so I was going to put out this record for ANMA and they had X's straight edge songs and, we got, um, you know, probably like six months into talking back and forth about the record and recording and the timing and layout. And, um, they saw one of my, uh, one of my blog posts and I referred to them as a straight edge band. And they sent me an email and being like, uh, you know, just so you know, like straight edge is, is really different in, in, um, Japan. And, you know, only two of us actually are straight edge and, you know, you know, we just wanted to be upfront about this. And I said, well, I, I can't put out the record. And they were devastated. They Meaning were what? So... It was different in Japan. Meaning what? Well, so, so culturally, um, if you want to be able to um, move up in any type of prof- professional position, you are expected to go out drinking with your boss. It's like this like cultural dynamic. I don't know if it's still that way, but it was that way um, in the it's early that 2000s. Way across all of East Asia, basically. Yeah. And Japan, so Korea, China, whatever. Yeah. So, so straight edge, like a lot of people that are into youth crew um, are like into the X's and the style and the fashion, but they don't actually live um, a, a straight edge lifestyle. And, um, so yeah, so he wanted to be upfront and honest about it, and I was like, I, you know, I'm I'm sorry, I, I can't do this. And yeah, they were they were bummed. Hmm. So, on a similar note, I mean, you you said that you gave the uh, No Time Left seven inch to underestimated because of the fact that Blake broke edge. Mm-hmm. How did you uh, how did you reconcile that with the, the fast break seven inch getting repressed after? Um. So. That's a that's a that's a fair question, um, and in all, I'm trying uh, to put you yeah, on the spot. No, it's, it's, I'm just curious. It's, it's, it's you know because of at the time you know one they're no longer they were no longer an active band, and also like the demand was constant, and I guess you know from a from a business standpoint to not press more fast break records seemed stupid. Um, so, yeah, you know, you know, I, I can't say that, that, you know, every, every decision I made was, was 100% consistent. Um, you know, you know, you, you do what, what feels right in the moment. Um, but yeah, I turned down, turned down a lot of things because they weren't straight edge, but also, you know, yeah, I did keep pressing the fast break record. And as I said, but on the other side, the other side of that is how many other records did repressing the fast break allow you to put out? Yeah. I don't mean it as a criticism. I'm just curious what, because you said that that was your specific rationale for the, for the no time left seven inch. I found it curious just thinking about the fast break record because that got repressed well after the, well after, I mean, they, they were not a straight edge band 
by the time they were done, certainly, but you know, most that was the, well after they broke up too. That um, the 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 third press, I I don't think they were they were still a band by the time I got to the third press because and know. certainly not the fourth. Yeah, certainly not the fourth. Yeah, maybe the third press. They maybe they still were a band. Um, I don't have um, one in front of me, but I can't remember if if I I, I uh, pulled the X off of the guy on the on the back of that one, or if there's all the X's removed, it's possible. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah no. when when did you pull the X off on the third press and later or <laughs> no um, the. The, the thing that I know that I definitely pulled the X's off of was the t-shirts. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, you, you have found an inconsistency in my logic and <laughs> yep, it's, it's true. Um, you know, and there were, there were, I also like with no time left, I definitely hold, hold myself and the things that I, myself to a higher standard than I hold others. Um, and so it, for me, it was just like a thing where I just couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it makes sense. I just, you know, it's, it's curious, but what one, one of, one of the other curiosities that never happened, but I was absolutely in love with they live. And the fact that they are playing again makes me so happy, but there, there was a constant running joke of, of, the third party animal six pack and that I would only ever release six non straight edge records and they live would be one of them. It would be the third party animal six pack. <laughs> um, Funny. So back to the, um, the newsletter, when was the last time you put out a third party newsletter? Um, somewhere in the two thousands. Um, I, I, pretty sure i did one in chicago mm-hmm. um maybe not I don't was remember. it still it was still a paper thing then yeah oh yeah yeah no i definitely i definitely remember doing oh, it's all all such a blur and though the one thing that i i don't have um so when i moved out of chicago my living space was also my working space. And I just had boxes and boxes of stuff, especially because my, every time I'd go home to visit, my parents were like, take some of this stuff. Um, and so um, I just had boxes and boxes of stuff. And I remember the moving day and how we had this moving truck almost completely filled. We were almost out of time. And um, I still had boxes and boxes of stuff. Um, up in the apartment and there was a point where I just looked at things and I was just like this is a box of flyers and ephemera I'm, and I have no idea what was lost and what was kept just certain boxes just went into the trash <laughs> um, but uh, yeah I don't I don't remember what the what the last third-party newsletter was I know that I did uh several in in the 2000s I'm pretty sure I did one in Chicago because I have this vague memory of being at uh um the Galaxy Chicago which was a place that I did a bunch of shows and people reading them all sitting around the floor but I I don't remember Hmm. and it makes me sad what's the most recent third-party release I was gonna say is third party still active uh third party's not still active other than the fact that I still 
receive orders from time to time and I still ship them out. In fact, uh, uh, Mike Bullshit oh. from Bullshit Monthly um, uh, from the band Go yeah, um, yeah. just just ordered a, uh, a Poison Planet 12-inch uh, um, in January. And a week later, somebody else ordered a Poison Planet 12-inch. Where, uh, where does one order third-party stuff? Now I'm going to put an order in just to fuck with you. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a third-party records, um, um, Store Envy? How, oh, no, there's a, there's a Poison Planet uh, band camp. Um, mm. I forgot that the, the Store Envies were inactive long enough that they got shut down. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a Poison Planet, uh, Poison Planet band camp, and so that's where the orders come in. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Poison Planet, Boyk, if, if I wanted to go out on a high note, um, I, I, I never have announced that third party is done. Um, because if I want to do it again, I don't want to be like, yeah, you know, I, I, I called it quits and then oh, I'm coming out of retirement. Like, no, I just, I haven't put out a record in years and maybe one day I will. Um, but uh, um, third party uh, number 40, uh, is the Poison Planet Boycott Everything 12-inch. And that was a labor of love. I spent somewhere in the ballpark of like 20 to 25 hours in Kinko's doing all the layout myself. I have, there it is. Um, I, uh, um, it's a one-sided 12-inch screen printed on the back, uh, Biff, um, from uh, um, Feral Kid Records uh, did the uh, did the the screen print uh, on the uh, vinyl. Um, giant poster, huge you know Dead Kennedy style um, um, uh, lyric sheet with tons of uh, tons Penises of and vaginas. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, there, there's, there's so it's not that Dead Kennedys. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, um, I put my entire heart and soul into that record. And we ended up putting out one record after that, um, uh, on, uh, Refuse Records. Um, but, um, uh, the, uh, the band broke up shortly after. Yeah. Oh, that's look a poster. At, look at that thing. Yeah. We, yeah, we were, massive. I, I, I wanted somebody to have the full immersive experience with that record. And um, so, yeah, that is that out of, as a piece of art that I created, that is my proudest musical achievement. And that was the last release. Sorry. Yeah, it was. Have you been getting any like a, uh, like demo submissions or people asking you to put stuff out? Yeah. Yeah, actually, it's it's few and far between, um, but I did get one in the last month, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you know, I'll get get a, a Facebook message, and it's the same thing that that happened for years. You know, people don't know that I'm a a, a straight edge only, and um, you know, uh, punk punk oriented hardcore label, um, and so they'll send me a, a a link to a recording, and it's just. Eh. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm sorry. Um, so a little I'm, I'm, sidebar on that. Manual Depression's first demo, They, for whatever reason, they sent it to Discord. Yep. 
and the first demo has that Sprechen de Mango Schlange song or whatever it is. And they, <laughs> I don't know why. Zucken Schlange. Yeah, I don't know why <laughs> they sent it to Discord, but they did. And then they're reading a zine interview with Ian McKay. And he's talking about, yeah. And people would just send us these demos. Like this Zucken Z Mango Schlange thing. And they're like, holy shit, he actually got it and listened to it. There's no way I'm putting that out. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, you know, sometimes I, I, I feel like a, a dick that I don't listen to everything that I get. But I mean, there was there was a point in in like the heyday of the 90s where I just got so much stuff and it was just overwhelming. And I, there, I couldn't I couldn't possibly, especially because I was, you know, doing the distro and listening, listening to new stuff to check out for, uh, you know, um, you know, am I going to carry this thing? You know, how do I describe it in uh in um eventually in the early 2000s on my uh, web store or whatever and it's just like it just was too much so um, here's a question yeah. did people looking to get put out on third party increase with the youth crew revival of 97 yeah um so so yeah probably the 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 particularly after the fast break record um after the fast break record i got tons of demos um and I think that um, doing the final exit record also opened up the floodgates to like, I, I already had a strong connection with Europe. Um, I was, you know, pen pals with all of these different people. And uh, to answer, answer, uh, answer the question. Yes, I did give Peter uh, J. Jansetic's phone number. Um, Cause I know that, <laughs> that, that came up in the uh, thing. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I talked to, to Euros, um, European hardcore folks all the time. And, um, it was just, it was just one of these things where it just snowballed and all of a sudden I was just like overwhelmed with stuff. And, and to piggyback off of that, like half mass and bands that you were putting out on third party, you know, played with rage and some of the others were kind of pre or proto youth crew revival when the 97 youth crew revival hit and some of these bands became like the darlings of the scene, like how did you view and feel about that, that moment leading up to that moment, that moment, and kind of after that moment, you know what I'm saying? Um, are you talking about the, the fact that, you know, half mast had already broken up and, and now youth crew was taking off. Is that what right, you're referring yeah, like, to? Like, like <laughs> half, half mass was doing what they were trying to do breaks up and then bands like, floor punch 10 yard fight these bands like blow up and they're the like you know the new bit the next big thing whereas bands in buffalo had already been doing this and no one cared you know know what i'm saying like yeah no i was i was i was to be honest i was bummed out about it you know it was one it was one of those things where where i uh i felt like um you know just had the timing wrong you know it was just one of those things and and um you know, I, I felt like every, everything was, was, was rolling and, 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 you know, half mass, half mass was done. Um, and no time left actually was, was kind of a, a similar, similar thing in a way because, um, straight edge punk really kind of exploded in 2006 um, and there was like this wave of bands like, you know, Blank Stare and Positive Reinforcement and um, uh, 
um, Coke Bust and Sick Fix, and there were all Black SS. There were all these like fantastic, um, in my mind, fantastic uh, bands that were playing fast hardcore um, and weren't youth crew, um, and they were straight edge bands. And um, you know, you know, No Time Left, you know, predated all of that. Um, and I think that No Time Left probably would have been even better received if if we had just been a couple of years later. But eh, you know, it. I, I, I'm just like, I I talk some shit, but I am just so lucky to have been able to do all of the things that I've done. Um, that to um, to like dwell on it too much, um, and you know, be like Meh, about it. Um, are there any, are there any bands of note that like maybe came to you that were in that group that weren't straight edge that maybe came to you with a demo that got some sort of notoriety afterwards that you can think of? The, just the, the only, the only thing that stands out is the Bane story. Um, you know, is the, the fact that I, I just didn't pay attention to the Bane demos that I was given and then they exploded. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's something, um, but in all honesty, you know, I just, I, I am somebody who, everything that I do, I do in the moment that I'm in. I don't, you know, I buy three days worth of groceries at, at a time when I buy groceries because I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. My partner, she hates it when I say that. Um, but that's where my head is at at all times. And so, um, you know, everything that I do is just like, this is what I'm doing in this moment. And I don't dwell too much on, um, on what I did in the past. Um, and I don't plan really far into the future. I just kind of am in the moment. Cool. What are you, what are you doing for work right now? (laughs) Um, I actually was, uh, uh, technically I am working at another, uh, food cooperative, the -hmm. river West food co-op, a a tiny little co-op in my neighborhood, four blocks away. Um, but, uh, um, I do that, uh, um, two days a week and next week is my last shift. Um, I focus, um, in 2013, I decided that I was going to start my own gaming company. I had been working with Anton Underestimated also. Um, he called it quits this year, but he had started a, uh, um, a gaming company called Hyacinth Games and created a, a miniature, uh, miniature and role-playing game called Wreckage. Um, and I was briefly on the Wreckage design team. Um, and Anton and I, we just we butt heads on everything. Um, and so we kept butting heads and I, I bailed and, um, my brother actually kept telling me, you know, you should do your own thing. You should do your own thing. You should do your own thing. And then I was working for a moving company at the time and I tore my ACL and I was going to be out of work for six months. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to design a game. And so I, uh, designed a game called Broken Contract in uh, 2013 while I was holed up. And um, I uh, basically have been working on Breaker Press games ever since then. And uh, I'm at the point now, you know, we're, we're talking in my, in my studio space. Um, 
Um, I am surrounded by books and miniatures. Um, and uh, so that's where my focus lies is I, I run multiple Kickstarters a year and, and uh, sell. Uh, currently, uh, this is the thing that I'm shipping right now. This was a Kickstarter that I did in, uh, in uh, June. And it is a module, an adventure module for a game called Dungeon Crawl Classics, um, which is D&D like it's 1974 again. Um, And yeah, because I have to apparently do everything old school. Um, So I wasn't I wasn't aware that Dungeon Crawl Classics that anyone could just make one. I thought it was just Goodman Games. Okay, let me let me let me tell you, like. The we're, OS... we're going to go on a nerd tangent here. So yes, you guys this... better strap in. Yeah. <laughs> so, makes you happy. Yes. So this is a lot of people don't realize that there is a lot of overlap between gaming, at least um, role-playing games and punk. And I'll <laughs> say before you start your story, I will say that uh, at the height of my gaming in the 90s, I would see Larry Ransom and Joe Garlick in the gaming stores. And then when I would see them at a show and mention it, they would try to pretend like they didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, they didn't come into Adventures Unleashed other than to... No, uh... they went, they Iron Crown. That's where I would see them. <laughs> okay. Of all places, Iron Crown. That's funny. Um, but yeah, so 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 gaming... One of the things that I think why I was able to connect my love of gaming and my love of punk, um, why there, there was overlap for me is because with Dungeons and Dragons, there was this idea that you create all your own shit and it doesn't matter. You don't, there's no gatekeepers of, you know, whatever you, you know, comes into your brain, you can write your own modules, create your own dungeons, you know, make up your own spells. It's expressly stated in the, you know, first edition uh, AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide that this is your game, you are the master, you can do whatever you want. And punk just, DIY punk just made sense to me coming from that. And I never really connected it at that time. There we go. Um, it, 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 I just didn't necessarily connect those two things at the time. I just knew that I loved gaming and that I loved um, hardcore punk. And I kept trying to like, like live two separate lives because um, everybody often made fun of me for, you know, like they would come in and they, one of uh, Phil Barrios Phil Barrios is uh, from Strongball's favorite lines was I <laughs> I'm on fire and you've taken all my loot because he walked into adventures unleashed just as somebody said those words. <laughs> um, so, um, so, so yeah, so I owned this gaming store in the nineties at the same time that half mast was going on. I was getting, you know, fax messages from Germany, from Green Hell and from Crucial Response on the Adventures Unleashed fax machine, the thermal fax machine that we had. Um, And, you know, placing orders and sending messages back and forth and uh, orchestrating trades. And um, I didn't really see the overlap until later in, in life, until like recent years, how similar in ethic 
the two things are. And um, I'd um, been exposed to, like I had gotten into miniature gaming. I worked for Games Workshop for a while and um, that was right before No Time Left started or right around when No Time Left started, I was working for Games Workshop. A lot of the No Time Left songs are actually about um, leaving Games Workshop. Um, but, uh, um, you know, th- these two things in my life always felt very separate. And then I started to get the bug to play role-playing games again. And I dabbled in D&D 5e. And all of my initial dabbling was awful. I just couldn't, I just don't click with that system. I don't click with the art. I don't click with anything having to do with it. But um, I got exposed to, there's free RPG day. And I picked up a copy of the Dungeon Crawl Classics Quick Start Rules, which is, um, you know, like a 32-page book like this This is. And it just clicked. It, the black and white art, the, the, the um, feel of it, the, the attitude. And then I ended up looking into it and found out that they had the most wide open, open gaming license. You can create anything that you want for Goodman Games um, and for Dungeon Crawl Classics or Mutant Crawl Classics. You can create anything you want. You just got to send it to the Joseph Goodman, the, the head honcho, and he gives it the seal of approval, the stamp of approval. And then you get to put compatible with D- Dungeon Crawl Classics on the, on the cover. And that's it. And yeah, you get yeah, to keep meaning... I'm sorry. I was just going to say, keep... and you, you get to keep, and you get to keep all of the proceeds. You don't have to like oh, share, nice. share anything with them. You can create for them as much as you want, as often as you want. And that's it. Yeah. Like I keep meaning to pick it up, but honestly, the art kind of turns me off because I'm not 12 anymore. Nope. And, uh, you know, and I, and I, I started playing 5e last year and, I mean, I was buying the books and reading the stuff, but I actually started playing again for the first time in like 20 years in April last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about this a little bit on Facebook about like 5e. Like, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. It reminds me of second edition with some 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 things I'm not a big fan of, but it's enough like second edition that I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think like the people that I play with also helps because they're like, for the most part, old like vegan hardcore people or vegan punk rock people. <laughs> so I think I think who you're playing with helps as much as the rule system you're using. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know that 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 does make a difference. Like the the one of the experiences that I had here was you know playing with a guy that immediately min maxed his character, and like his his gnome illusionist was killing everything that i threw at them and i was just like this is dumb <laughs> and um yeah we we got a little way off tangent but one of the things that i do <laughs> i do want to point out is that um this art is by mike tommy rot from black ss oh nice. um yeah. and so i have Which kept book is that um this is the precipice of corruption um and um yeah i um I have tried to keep, uh, you know, things as punk and metal as possible while, you know, doing this, my 
foray into into gaming content, um, keeping those contacts contacts and and just you know working with my friends. Yeah, when I uh, whenever I go to Halo and get tattooed, me and DJ Rose talk about D and D, and uh, you know Tommy Rod will occasionally throw in a little something like it'll turn into like a giant nerd session. It's great. It's 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 funny how like a lot of these guys you didn't know in the 90s that they were into this stuff except for like clearly you i never hit it uh but a lot of people kind of did but now that they're like all hitting 50 it's like yeah it's totally fine to like talk about this and do art for the stuff and you know yada 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 who the fuck do you need to impress at this point yeah, yeah even then like who did you really need to impress like if you felt yeah. the need to impress somebody you were kind of fucking up but i mean i get it yeah but do you know what's at your store now? What the location of your store? Do you know what's there now, Nick? My my store. Adventures Unleashed. Adventures oh, Unleashed. I, it's 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 a brewing supply company. No, no, no. It's the headquarters of Go Veggies. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Twelve ninety Sheridan. Oh, I, I I thought that was that became. It was a, a brewery place, but now it's yeah. Go Veggies. Yeah, they like sell like. They, it's a, it's, they, uh, I think it's all vegan and stuff, but yeah, the guy sells like burgers and stuff like that. And okay, it's pretty cool. So for years it was the anti me and now it's the me. (laughs) (laughs) So actually I think we're going to close it up. What do you think? Yeah, we try to keep things around the 90 minute mark because I personally feel that over 90 minutes, it just gets a little like. All right, this is too much. Like, yeah, I, I, I saw I saw that the, the Mark Belenka one was two hours, and I'm like, I'm not ready to commit to this. <laughs> we, we debated on breaking it into two pieces, and as much as I love that episode when I listened to it, I was kind of like, we probably should have done this as a part one and part two. Yeah. All good. Listen, pro but, tip, but, I mean, people switch going your podcast. On. Switch your podcast to one and a half speed. I don't want to listen to a bunch of Mickey Mouses. I don't want to listen how to it works. Mickey Mouses. That's not how it works. If you hit one and a half speed, in iTunes and Spotify and whatever, it speeds it up. Uh, it speeds up the pace, but it doesn't change the pitch at all. Okay. I, it's I, worth I, 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 Lisa and I were listening to a book on tape and uh, that we didn't realize that that was happening. We're like, this guy's talking so fast. And then it was because we actually, <laughs> it lets me stuff more dumb shit in my head faster. So I like it. <laughs> Fair enough. I, See, my, I, uh, my fear is people, though, I'll do that. And then I'll start listening to more podcasts, and then like I'm going to turn into that guy. Nothing People wrong with sound that, man. smarter too when they're making their points fifty percent faster. They just sound smarter. <laughs> what? All right, I want to I, I want to throw in a couple of closing things. Yeah. Um. Uh. One, the show that uh, Jay Jensenik broke his head open was Willow 104. Uh, it was it was at Willow 104. Um. The person that sang along to the Dag Nasty uh, cover from Fade Away with you and was the other person that knew the words was me. Nice. nice. Um, Do you remember that? You remember like at the end of that when I was like, hey, next time learn the words and they yep. thought I was talking about them? <laughs> yep. So good. I, do, I, I, I do remember that. And also, I don't know if, you, if, if we ever discussed this. I feel like we did. Um, but uh, um, the song Ploy from Half Mast mm-hmm. was a conversation the opening line is a conversation that you and I had. I know that I've known that for years. And I said that to you once you're like, 
No, no, that has nothing to do with you. And I'm like, motherfucker, you quoted me word for word. I did quote you word for word. And yeah. I, I, don't, I don't remember ever, ever denying that. Um, but there was they, a minute there where you did. I don't know why, yeah. but there was a minute there where you did. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely quoted you word for word. Because I, I remember we were talking, I feel like we were talking about the subject to change demo. And then we were just talking about like stuff that we were into. And I, and you just went on this rant about um, unity being a marketing ploy and the mm-hmm. youth crew was full of shit. And I was just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's funny because like, it's funny that you say subjects change because like the initial idea of this podcast, in my mind, I wanted people to hear the subject to change demo, which I don't even have. Mm-hmm. But like, it was like, I was just like, oh, people like there are so many good things out of Buffalo, like blend and subject to change and people need to know about this. And then that's kind of where this whole thing came from. So like, see, even even back then I was fucking jocking subject to change and pissing people <laughs> off about it. Um, but yeah, those those were uh, some things that while I was listening to the the Jay Dancetic episode, I was like, no, I know the answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> we get that. Like uh, Scott was saying during the J one, he was like, no, I, I know a part of this. I know a part of this. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's a final question though, Nick. Um, who or what releases would you like to see covered in like <laughs> episode of, of Nickel City soundtrack? Anything you think that's gotten under undercovered, maybe interesting that you think would be cool. Well, you, I mean, you said, they live all that you've already interviewed they yeah. live and they they live for me was at least in the 2000s was like the pinnacle band mm-hmm. um uh what's your go-to they live lineup just out of curiosity oh the the um the let I, I will term it the last lineup um the combination of blake and Craig when he was 16 and Dave Bailey and um, Justin and Eric, like, you know, I got to, I got to see them tour, um, you know, what for, you know, almost 30 nights in a row um, and play. And, you know, between, between Dave's intensity and how fast he is and Blake's showmanship. And at that time, Craig was crazy. Like I remember a show in um, 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 the Quad Cities and I in uh, Quad Cities, Illinois, Iowa border. Um, there was a show where there was like some sort of like ledge behind Blake's drums, and Craig jumped up on the le- ledge and jumped over Blake and um, back to the front of the of the crowd, and it was just incredible to see um yeah they they live like if i think back on if i was going to listen to any buffalo hardcore band right this minute it would be they live Um, Uh, when you're saying dave is that dave vincent skinny dave bailey bailey oh dave bailey yeah um you know i think um talking to gifford about slave state um i you know, I think that would be, that would be cool. Um, honestly, you know, talking, talking to Justin about robot has werewolf hand. Justin is just an endless stream of entertainment. So even like, 
in all honesty, like my partner who has no connection to Buffalo hardcore, she would listen to Justin talking for an hour about hardcore just because Justin is so goddamn entertaining. I like those uh, ideas. Those have come before too. So that, that's cool. Um, so we got anything else to add, Chris or Alex? Nick, where can, uh, uh, where can people check out the, your, your gaming stuff? Is there a website you want to plug or anything? Yeah. Um, uh, just Google breaker press games. Um, and you will find, uh, either the Facebook or the store envy or the Instagram, you Google it, you will find something, um, or one of our many Kickstarters that we've run. Um, so yeah, the, just Google breaker press games. Um, you are. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And as I said, the, the poison planet, um, still near and dear to my heart. Um, uh, if you go to the poison, uh, poison X planet, uh, band camp, um, you can, uh, check out the last band that I was in. I still, uh, will ship out records if people are interested because, uh, I am very proud of them. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, I, I am just deeply appreciative of everything that I've been able to do. And, uh, yeah, I'm honored you guys asked me. Thanks so Thanks much for, for taking up. the time, man. It's it's really great catching up with you. And there's you've you've done so much stuff that's relevant to the subject matter that we cover, and a lot of stuff that is near and dear to us as well. So thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Be- be- before Mark goes, I just want to one apologize for any uncredited photo that ever appeared on anything that I did. Um, <laughs> You did so much for all of the bands um, that I have been in in when I was in Buffalo and just for the Buffalo scene. And um, yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate you guys too. Oh, <laughs> thanks. We, I mean, honestly, like while I didn't acknowledge, I mean, I bought a lot of third party stuff in the 90s. And while I may not always have been the most vocally positive person about what people were doing, you really did a great service in Buffalo with third party. Like, I think there was only like one or two other labels in Buffalo at the time, but like the amount of stuff that you put out, you were always putting stuff out. You never, you know, like it just, it, it was something that Buffalo really needed. And it's definitely like, you know, Alex said, it's part of the Buffalo story, part of the Buffalo history, you know, and it's the thing that people should like know about. And, you know, maybe there'll be a resurgence of third party purchases. (laughs) You know, two, two things, there's a couple of things that we, we didn't end up covering that, uh, that I I wish that uh, I had gone on different tangents. Um, One being, uh, the story of round flat records wanting to put me in a box. Um, but uh, uh, Fuck that dude. Somebody was like, <laughs> Hey, you should have round flat on. And I was like, fuck no, that will never happen. <laughs> fuck that dude. Fuck uh, him. Yeah. But you could uh, set it up. And then when he comes on, just be like, just wanted to let you know you're a piece of shit. Fuck you. And the podcast. And then uh, publish it. Funny. I could, but it could. It would actually be kind of funny. Like I'm not totally. It's episode seventy eight. All right. <laughs> but the, the the one thing the one thing where I I that I wished I had gotten into is that um 
I just wanted to be involved in Buffalo hardcore and what, what was going on. It's, I went to shows for three years without talking to a single fucking person other than the friends that I showed up with in my car. And when I went to the first, uh, first few Skyroom shows, um, I was just showing up by myself because I didn't have anybody to, to go with me. And I just would show up and not talk to anybody. Um, and it wasn't until I started um, doing, I'd started third party as a distro and third party as a distro gave me this buffer between people where suddenly I had this little thing on this table and people came up and were talking to me. And that allowed me to um, participate in a way that I wasn't able to before because I was too shy and just too weird. Um, I mean, I get that. Uh, I mean, when I first moved back from Illinois, the scene was like almost completely different. Like 95% of the people that I knew were gone and the ones that were left, I'm not going to say that I didn't like them, but it was just like, Oh, you're still here. And like, you were one of the few people that would consistently talk to me at shows Uh, like you, Bill Page and a few others, you know, I I definitely bought some stuff from your distro too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sure the reason why we had that conversation at Willow 104 is because you were flipping through my distro because I would not, I would, I would not have approached you. I Um, think, I think that that conversation actually started because I was probably besides going on about subject to change, uh, the outspoken current seven inch came out and I was looking for it or something. I think that's how the whole thing started. Yeah. I think current current came out a couple of years after that, but still it was, it was, it was one of the, one of those things where, where you just, we just in, in that, in that moment, um, you know, you were able to connect with me in a way that I wouldn't have been able to do if there wasn't that table between us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And still fuck around flat records. <laughs> fuck, fuck that motherfucker. I, I still think it's great that he called me just to tell me he was going to put me in a box. It's funny <laughs> because me and a couple a of friends what, what? showed up to um, his house and he wouldn't answer the door. He uh, heard there was a show in uh, um, Lockport where I had planted a bunch of maple seeds um, you know, the helicopters and I planted these maple seeds and I had um, grown them into saplings and I took them to a show and along with my distro, I was selling saplings. It was just, I, you know, people like T.S. Saltino did weird shit all the time, uh, like selling weird beanies that were cut off sleeves and, and stuff like that. So I didn't think anything of it. And round flat guy calls me. And he's like, he's like, you know, I heard about you you selling these trees. And I don't like what you're doing to the scene. I'm going to put you in a box. When when was this? Because I feel like that dude was gone by that point. Like By the time you were doing your distro, I feel like that he wasn't um, going to shows or anymore. I, um, I, I actually started doing the distro in 93. Um, yeah, he was he was done by then. Like, yeah. That was the last gasp of the pathetic man. You know, I, 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 it's funny because I had bought... Um, like crop dogs records and some other stuff directly from him to distro. Um, so, you know, he, we had not our, you know, each other's numbers, I believe. 
dude, he that dude started uh like when NCS was big, he started ASS Amherst Suburban Stomp to like make fun of them, but never went to shows. Yeah. And he was also really big with the white power dudes. He was like totally closet racist. Yeah, that sucks. Why would somebody get angry about he's, he's an asshole. Like he's an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, you know. It was, it, was, it was a weird thing to do, you know. I can see why people would be like, that's fucking weird. I would definitely see that and think that's fucking weird, but I definitely <laughs> would not think I think I'll threaten to murder this guy over it. All right, gentlemen. Th- thank you so much. And you. you you all have a good night. And if you ever want to hear me talk about dumb shit again, I would be more than We've happy. got other bands to talk to you about. So we yeah, may get you back around. Oh, so. yeah. There will be like dedicated, you know, dedicated no time left stuff and whatever. Yeah. And I would yeah. I would be awful. If you'll, if you'll have us. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I love to talk. So awesome. Never would have guessed. As, as long as long as there's a counter or a microphone between us. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> or the internet. Yeah. All right. I'm really, let, me know, go. let me know what you're thinking about those fast break records. We'll, we'll make something work. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye.